WCYJ FM, Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. It's week two of the Jack Kilgrove Show here on your home for everything Waynesburg. 99.5 The Hive. I'm your host, Jack Kilgrove. This is the Jack Kilgrove Show. What a weekend. And for whatever reason to me, it feels like that normalcy, in a sense, Obviously, this country still has a lot to deal with when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic, but to me, it felt like, for once, for the first time since March, insert number here, but before 15 or whatever, that normalcy and things were as they should be in this country. Why? It started last Thursday, and it started when the NFL, the National Football League, one of, if not the most popular sport in America, in a time where virtually everything else, the other three major sports, baseball, basketball, and hockey, were affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Seasons halted. Season starts delayed. Bubbles. Modification of schedules. The list goes on and on, but what happened over the weekend, folks? What happened last Thursday with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans? The NFL, when their schedule was created for the 2020-2021 season, back in April, started on time with no modifications. I can't tell you how happy that makes me, and I'm sure that it makes the rest of you guys that are NFL fans listening to this show. Sports for the first time, and it's been weird watching basketball and hockey in the month of August and in September, and baseball with its new rules and no fans, obviously. For once, something feels right in the sports world, and it was sitting on my rear end, on Sunday with my friends when I got home from work watching NFL football. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? We have a lot to unpack this evening on the Jack Hillgrove Show, WCYJFM. It's 8.06 here in lovely Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. Good weather day, too. And finally, that's another thing I think why... I was so excited for football to come back and come back on time. Today was the first day it felt like a fall football afternoon. Tomorrow, 80 degrees, the high, it won't. But the high today was around 75. It was 48 degrees when I woke up this morning, and it's 55 degrees right now. Weather's got me pumped. Got me pumped for football. Got me pumped for Halloween season, all those fun stuff. But we have a lot to unpack this evening on the Jack Hillgrove Show. We're going to talk about, in detail, next segment, the Pittsburgh Steelers' opening win against the New York Giants. And boy, does it have me running through a wall. We'll talk about that next segment, and I'm sure you can figure out why. A couple of other hot takes I'm going to unpack about the Steelers as well, and then 
later on in the hour, uh, the last two segments at 8.30 and 8.45, I'll talk about at 8.30 our, um, or at least my surprise, not surprise, but teams that I think that the NFL and the rest of the league should watch out for based on what I saw in week one, and now a lot can change. So this is my way too early prediction. We're going to talk about those at 8.30 and my teams that should prepare to have a top 10 draft pick and perhaps a new coach at the end of the season. Teams that are going to suck, frankly, to, to, to put it bluntly. Uh, that's coming up at 8.45. At 9 o'clock, we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going on there. Some big games tonight. And matter of fact, uh, while I babble here for a moment, because we don't really talk about the NBA a whole lot, uh, especially in, in, in past air shifts, it's something that I really don't touch upon because while I'm a basketball fan, it's... There's, there's nothing going on in Pittsburgh with the NBA, obviously. So we're going to talk about uh, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. The Boston Celtics are up four right now, 65-61, about halfway through the third quarter. That's game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. And then coming up right at 9 o'clock, and that's why I put it in this time slot, game seven of the West, the Clippers, who a lot of teams thought would be involved, and the Nuggets, maybe you thought they'd be in this stage of the playoffs, but did you have them taking the clips to Game 7? I know I sure as hell didn't. And I'm going to be really pumped to watch that game and glance over to computer screen and watch that game while I'm talking to you lovely people on this Tuesday evening. So some NBA discussion and banner at 9 o'clock coming up. At 9.15, we're going to talk about my Pit Panthers and the clobbering of Austin P over the weekend which I saw a funny tweet about and I'll share with you at 9.15 because I don't want to spoil it but you'll find out as you listen to my show that I am a huge Pitt Panthers fan I have been uh, since before I was born I, I didn't really have any other choice frankly um, but I do like to poke some fun and we're going to poke some fun with the, with the tweet that I saw earlier in the week. And I, I want to share with you guys at 9.15. Uh, the Big Ten's apparently going to play football again out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know what it was, but it, I think it was the Nebraska Cornhuskers, University of Nebraska's president, uh, getting ready to give a press conference. And the mic was hot. Hot mic guy. Eastbound and down reference. And you could just audibly hear... The other person say, oh, yeah, we plan to announce tonight the return of Husker and Big Ten football. So that's going to change some things in the college football landscape. The pac Ten's probably like, well, hello, hi, we're still over here. It'll be interesting. We're going to talk about that at 930 at 945. An alumnus will join us to kind of recap the whole show. You've heard him on here before, hopefully. Wouldn't want to miss him. The Nameless Baseball Show. Joe Smeltzer will be joining us class of 2020 member Joe Smeltzer of the Waynesburg University Department of Communication really excited to talk to him it's been a while since uh, I've seen Joe so looking forward to catching up with him and he's in a very very if you've heard Joe and if you have seen Joe maybe on uh, on Twitter or something uh, you'll know how uh, much of an intelligent young man Mr. Smeltzer is, and he's always a good chat when it comes to sports. So we're going to talk to Joe at 9.45 to wrap up the show. 
at 9.30. It'll be some college football talk and what's going on in the Big Ten. At 9.15, we're going to talk about my Pitt Panthers and where I think they'll end up this season and my takeaways from the beatdown of the Austin P. Governors. I think that's their name. Yeah, it is. Which I saw a funny tweet, and I'll share this one with you guys before we get to break. Uh, Pitt Basketball Shouting, which is an account that's really a good follow on Twitter if you like Pitt and you're a funny guy. Um... He said, we're doing a really good job against Duquesne's dad. And it was a side-by photo of the Duquesne Dukes logo and the Austin P logo. And it looks like the Austin P logo, the man in it, could be related, an older relative <laughs> of the Duquesne Duke. It's the Jack Hillgrove Show. I am Jack Hillgrove with you till 10 o'clock every Tuesday evening on the best college radio station in Pennsylvania. I went out on a limb there. I said it. I'm also going to say this, 21 for 32, 229 yards, three touchdowns, zero, Z-E-R-O, interceptions, and a QBR, rather a quarterback rating of 117.8. Ladies and gentlemen, Big Ben Roethlisberger is back. And I might be going out on a limb, and you might be sitting there saying, Jack, you're nuts. The Steelers are old. They're aged. Big Ben isn't the quarterback he used to be. Mike Tomlin's a bonehead head coach. Blah, 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 blah. I do not care. I don't. They might be valid reasons, sure. Big Ben, absolutely not the quarterback he was when he was 28, even 35 years old, three years ago. He's not. Showed that last night. But if you have to throw that in my face when you're talking about Ben Roethlisberger, it's irrelevant to me. It's irrelevant. Don't care. You have to understand, I am 22 years old. The very first football game I remember watching as a child was... What year would this have been? 2002 or three? when the Pittsburgh Steelers played the Atlanta Falcons and they tied them and Plexico Burris had like 200-some receiving yards on like 15 catches or something ridiculous. I remember glimpses of that game. But the very first game I remember being invested in as a football fan, I was six years old and it was the 2004 AFC Championship game, the Steelers at home against the Patriots. Who was the starting quarterback of that game? It was Ben Roethlisberger. So for as long as I have been an avid football fan and comprehensive and competent enough to know what is going on when I'm sitting down in front of a television screen and watching a football game, the only quarterback that I know for the Pittsburgh Steelers is number seven, Ben Roethlisberger. Last year was horrible. Not from the fact, from the offensive sake, and Devlin Hodges is the duck or whatever the heck everybody called him, and Mason Rudolph, who stinks. Not the fact that the quarterback play was bad, but number seven wasn't out there taking snaps from Marquise Pouncey. I felt weird watching Steelers football, and as for as much of a role as they went on without Ben under center, 
didn't feel right. I didn't feel like I was watching Steelers football. And last night, watching Ben Roethlisberger after the New York Giants had their had, uh, their first offensive possession, walk out onto the field, and ESPN flashing up a graphic that Ben Roethlisberger's trotting out in the field to play quarterback, I almost cried. And I don't know, uh, maybe you're sitting in your dorm room right now laughing at the fact that I almost cried at a football game. That's fine. That's, you know what, that, that's where my emotions lie. But I did. And I'm probably going to ball my eyes out when the day he calls it quits because that day is coming sooner rather than later. Despite what he said, he wants to win several more on Lombardi's and that quote just fires me the heck right up. But that day's approaching. He's 38 years old. I mean, Tom Brady's 43. I don't know if Ben gives it five more years, but you saw Tom Brady play against the New Orleans Saints over the weekend. He looked like a 43-year-old quarterback. Anywho. About seven more minutes in this segment. Let's talk about the game. 26-16 final. And Mark Madden, who, if you're unfamiliar, 105.9 The X, he has a show in Pittsburgh. Sports talk show, and he's been around for a very, very long time. And he's probably one of, if not the best, radio personality in Pittsburgh, maybe even of all time. He's up there with Myron Cope, but he's up there. He was on, um, and I forget the name of it, but it was through Trib Live, and it was with him and Tim Benz. And Mark Madden said ahead of the Steelers, in advance of the Steelers-Giants game, that the the Steelers would win. They'd cover. They were favored by six points. They won by ten, so they covered. But it wouldn't be an all-out dominant slugfest by any sorts, like the pit game we'll talk about next hour. He was right. It wasn't a dominant performance by the Pittsburgh Steelers. By any stretch of the imagination, it was. Wasn't, I should say. But they did what they needed to do to win the football game, and they won the football game. And that's where the Pittsburgh Steelers will be better in 2020 and different in 2020 than they were in 2019. Because I can't tell you on how many different occasions I was sitting at a bar stool, on my couch, with my buddies, in a parking lot, tailgating, wherever, that I'd be watching the Steelers game more invested in what they were doing defensively than offensively 100% of the game. And when it comes to football, at least my perspective of it is, while the defense obviously is half the battle, and they say defense wins championships, you score points to win football games, and offenses score points. So by that logic, you need to be more invested in what your offense is doing at certain points. Obviously, your defense needs to have a big stop late in the game, sure, but you need to be more oftentimes invested in what the offense is doing in the defense as a fan. 100% of the time last year, it was, what's the defense doing? Because the offense is going to go out there and look stupid, and it did. And the Steelers won football games last year? Yes, they won eight of them. But the defense probably bailed them out five, maybe six of those games. Ladies and gentlemen, they don't have to do that this year. That defense is going to be probably the best in football. And the offense will be able to score enough points to keep the defense and the pressure off of the defense and win football games. 
The final score is 26-16, to 16, as I mentioned, but the 16 is kind of a skewed number. I'm almost certain that it did with three... Oh, I'm sorry, a minute 52 left in the football game. The Giants made it 26-16. to 16. So for 58 minutes of football, 58 minutes, 6 seconds to be precise of football, they, the Steelers, kept the opposition at 10 points or under. And that's not going to be the last time you see that, and I can guarantee that. Because that defense is very good. Three key points to make before we get to break, and I can do it in three minutes. Number one, the defense is still very, very good. I don't know how many teams, with their back against the wall, on the 19th play of a drive, getting beat on long third downs, frustrating play after play, the offense... And the offensive coordinator, in that case, Jason Garrett, who was the former head coach of the Cowboys, just drawing up good plays to move the ball down the field, and the Steelers could not stop them. Couldn't do it. And then you get down to what? The four, five-yard line? First and goal, second and goal, whatever the down and distance was. I would have bet my entire life savings that the Giants were going to score on that play. And that'll be why, I, and I'll elaborate on it, that'll be why I'm so bad at sports betting. That's why I am, because I can't make those calls. On the 19th play of a drive defensively, they're able to get a turnover. They said, screw what happened the last 18 plays. We got beat. We got our backs against the wall. They're not scoring any points. And guess what they did? And then when Deontay Johnson muffed the fumble in the beginning of the game, they get the ball in field goal range and they get out of that with only three points. It's a good defense, folks. It's a very, very good defense. And that leads into point number two And that Bud Dupree is a man amongst boys. There was a lot of question marks coming in with Bud Dupree about how he would play in response to his breakout year last year because frankly he wasn't he was a bust almost before 2019 and he looked like a world beater out there again last night just a quick jump like James Harrison-esque jumps in James Harrison's prime off the ball hitting the quarterback with force and just causing a ruckus Bud Dupree if they can find a way to keep him and it's a slim 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 chance Almost none. Slim might have left town. Steelers fans are going to miss him, but that's just the way the cookie crumbles, and that's business in football. So let's enjoy him while we have him, folks. Point number three, and it kind of pains me to say this, but Benny Snell needs to be RB number one next week. I love James Conner. I read James Conner's book, James Conner. I've met him on several occasions. I know him personally, and he's a very, 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 Awesome dude. And just one of the all-time great guys. Just a great human being. But Benny Snell, last night, was Pittsburgh's first 100-yard rusher since week 8 of 2019 when the Steelers had a 100-yard rusher against the Miami Dolphins. You know who it was? Benny Snell. The Steelers later in the season had a guy rush for 98 yards. Not 100, 98, but you know who that was? Benny Snell. 
folks, my point, let him, let him run. Let him run. He looked fantastic last night against the Giants. They're not very good, but 19 carries, 113 yards, and he had a 30-yard run. James Conner, for whatever reason, tried to be like Le'Veon Bell. James Conner made his money at Pitt, mauling dudes over, laying a stiff arm, and getting those extra yards. And for whatever reason, he didn't do that last night, and that's why he only had six carries for nine yards. And no, that's not nice. The defense is good. Bud Dupree, be on the lookout. A huge 2020, maybe even bigger than 2019. And let Benny Snell run the football. You're listening to the Jack Hill Grove Show. Well, on WCYJ FM, Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. 831 here in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania. That's the time of the day. Talking about the NFL and how it's back and on time and normal, and it's the only normal thing it seems like going on right now in our country. Talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers, my takeaways from the New York Giants performance, and obviously Ben Roethlisberger coming back to play quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020. And I I had a tweet, I'll say it. (laughs) Once I'll say it again, I wasn't sure if I wanted to run through a wall or cry my eyes out when I watched him trot out on the field. Glad to have him back. Let's talk about some teams other than the Pittsburgh Steelers who I think are going to be very successful in 2020. Um... Not only very successful, I think Super Bowl contenders. We're going to talk about that now. And then at 8.45, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we opened up teams I think that might be wanting a new coach, a restart, and just frankly stink in 2020. So let's get the ball rolling, and let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs. It was the first game of the season. Traditionally, the Super Bowl champ kicks off the 2020 season on Thursday night. They did. They beat the crap out of the Texans. It was a close game, sure. Well, not close. Uh, Score-wise, it was 34-20. to But I think they have a chance to just like go undefeated. Might be a little bit of a stretch. You might be sitting there saying, I'm nuts, I'm stupid. But they looked good. Patrick Mahomes didn't throw for 300 yards, and they still looked good. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. The young man, the 32nd overall pick, the last pick of the first round out of Louisiana State University. Out of LSU, excuse me. Playing for Coach O. Go Tigers. 25 carries, 138 yards, a touchdown. He might win Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. He was ranked like ninth, I think, in ESPN Fantasy Rankings. And in preparation for my league, I'm sitting there thinking, why the heck is this rookie ranked this high? Watched him play Thursday night. That's why. Sammy Watkins, seven receptions. Travis Kelsey, six receptions. Tyreek Hill, five receptions. Those are their three top guys. All three of them caught touchdowns from Patty Mahomes. They're going to be good. They didn't turn the ball over. They didn't fumble. Patrick Mahomes didn't throw a pick. They're just a really, really good football team. The defense might be a little bit of a uh, 
not an Achilles heel, so to speak, but like, it's not that great. The reason why their success is what it is and why they won the Super Bowl is because of Patrick Mahomes and that offense. But the defense is adequate enough to get the job done. That's why I think the Pittsburgh Steelers can make some noise in 2020. Carried, not carried, so to speak, but led by that defense. But the offense is good enough to get the job done. It's just reverse in Kansas City. They're a no-brainer pick for me to do very, very well in 2020. Maybe replicate a Super Bowl. That's what I had picked. But they'll be in contention and probably win that division. Number two, a team that a lot of people are picking to come out of the NFC. The Seattle Seahawks. Now, I didn't pick them to come out of the NFC. The team that I did didn't look very good in their game. But Seattle, I, I, I might be not jumping on the bandwagon, but starting to lean towards believing in Russell Wilson. And not like I did before, but Pete Carroll and the boys have something special going on up northwest. Russell Wilson, 31 of 35 and four touchdowns. Over 300 yards passing. He also ran for 30 yards. Watch out. I love what they have going on in the receiving core, too. You got Tyler Lockett. A been there, done that guy. Sort of like a Tyreek Hill. Maybe not as fast, maybe not as quick, but a guy that can get open in space. And once he's in the open field, you watch out. Eight receptions, 92 yards for him. Another guy who, for whatever reason, people just like to rag on is DK Metcalf. Oh, he only runs one route, and it's a go route. Well, guess what? He had 95 receiving yards and a touchdown on Sunday. Just a go route. Give me a break. The guy is a physical specimen. He is six foot four, 230 pounds, and chiseled like a freaking Greek statue. Those don't come very often. And maybe he isn't the strongest route runner. Maybe he isn't the most technical guy in the world, but he is one hell of a tough cover on that outside. And if you can't hang with him, and if he's, if you're not strong enough to go up one-on-one with him, watch out. They're going to be very good. And how about Greg Olson coming back? He was a commentator for the XFL like a minute ago. And now he's the tight end for the Seattle Seahawks. Four receptions, 24 yards for him in his debut. Also... Caught a touchdown. Another thing you like to look at too, and why I really like these guys, the Seattle Seahawks, targets as opposed to receptions. DK Metcalf was targeted eight times, only caught four. Not great. One every two. I mean, that's fine. But you look at some other guys. Tyler Lockett, targeted eight times, made eight catches. Chris Carson, who's a running back, only carried it for 21 yards on six attempts, but he caught six balls for 45 yards, two touchdowns. How many times was he targeted? Six. Greg Olson, four targets, four catches. David Moore, three targets, three catches. Russell Wilson, don't miss. He don't miss. It's like that clip of Michael Rappaport and Snoop Dogg that's got expletives in it and I can't say on the air. But he doesn't miss. And if it weren't for Patrick Mahomes being as good as he is, I think Russell Wilson might win the MVP this year. A lot of people, shout out to Diorio, think he should have won last year. He didn't. 
could have made a case, absolutely. But he didn't. And that, that day's coming, and I think his second Super Bowl is on the way this year. Not this year, maybe. But we'll see. They're number two. Kansas City was number one. I'm going to give you two, maybe three more, depending on how many or how much time we have. Green Bay, 43 points against the Vikings. And it regrets me to say this, and I regret saying this, I should say, because the Minnesota Vikings were my fantasy defense. And just shout out Mike Zimmer and the boys. Negative nine fantasy points. Woo! My buddy Will slapped me around on fantasy. I might have the uh, the championship hangover, if you will. My team was so good last year. So good. I had Lamar Jackson and Zeke Elliott. And I won. And I might just not be there this year. Anywho, Green Bay, 43-34 victory over NFC North rival Minnesota. Aaron Rodgers... Efficient. And a lot of people were like freaking out about the Packers drafting Jordan Love in the first round. Okay, that's fine. Aaron Rodgers was pissed. And he played like he was pissed that they drafted Jordan Love in the first round. 32 of 44, four tutties. Just efficient as all heck. Aaron Jones, four clip and a touchdown, 16 carries, 66 yards, free Aaron Jones. Devontae Adams, he was okay. Um, 14 receptions, 156 yards. Yeah, one more time. 14 receptions, 156 yards, two touchdowns. That's gross. I mean, if I'm... Anybody in that secondary for Minnesota, I'm reevaluating like my life, my 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 reason of playing football after letting Devontae Adams just Wow. And another thing too with Green Bay before I move on, we have a couple minutes left, is their defense. And I think Jair Alexander, and I said this to um, Ed DiOrio over the weekend, I think he's the most underrated corner in football. He's very, very good. And he's very, very fast. Like Mike Hilton off the edge for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But just a tad better. So that's Green Bay. I gave you three. And if I had to pick one more before we head to a break... I would probably go with Arizona. Kyler Murray is going to be a very, 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 very good quarterback in the NFL this year. He might statistically, hot take, finish in the top five. And another hot take for me too, or not hot take, and just a, a highlight here, DeAndre Hopkins, welcome to Arizona. 14 catches, 151 yards. Kyler Murray's going to have fun I think they're going to make the playoffs. I said that last week. I'll say it again this week. Arizona, Green Bay, Kansas City, Seattle. My four most impressive teams from week one. When we come back, the opposite four for week two. So we talked about my four teams, and if you're just joining us, my four teams to watch out for this NFL season the Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, the Arizona Cardinals, and of course the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, other than, of course, my Pittsburgh Steelers because 
Big Ben's back. Did you know Big Ben's back? Did I mention that? So now it's time for my four flops. Three of them. One of them expected. Two of them I was kind of surprised at. And the other one is just absolutely hysterical. So we'll start with the one that was kind of expected for 2020. A lot of uh, experts, people, fans, etc. Didn't think these guys would be very good based on them trading a big player away. Oh, I didn't mention that. Jamal Adams to Seattle. And that kind of spoils my next team or my first team that will flop. The New York Jets. And I want to start by prefacing this. And I hope that each of you that know what I'm talking about that are listening agree with me. Adam Gase, why is he still an NFL football coach? Why did he ever become an NFL football coach? That guy, I mean, other than like Hugh Jackson, Adam Gase might be one of the worst football minds I've ever seen coach football. Like, I mean, he's just bad. In 2016, he won 10 games. With the Miami Dolphins. But that Miami Dolphins team was kind of loaded. Like if you go back and look at what they did. Laramie Tunsil, Xavier Howard were their draftees. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. I don't think he, he didn't start that game. Obviously, well, you know, he didn't start that game. Matt Moore huh, still has nightmares of Bud Dupree. But Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, Kenyon Drake. Uh, Jay Ajayi when he was still very, very good. And that defense was awesome back in 2016. Kiko Alonso was still pretty good at that time. Uh, Xavier Howard in that defense, or in that secondary, I should say. Um, they were good. The defensive line, Cameron Wake, Ndamukong Sue, Mario Williams. So those 10, those 10 wins skewed. And then he went 6-10, and 7-9, and last year 7-9 with the Jets. He's just not a good coach. Close your, if you are an avid NFL football fan, close your eyes and try and picture Adam Gase coaching a meaningful football game, like a playoff game in the snow or a Super Bowl for that matter. It's, you can't, right? You really, really can't. It's one of those things that to me is so not even like thinkable it like almost hurts my brain to think about. They didn't run it well either. I mean, I complained about James Conner for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Speaking of former, well, rather former Pittsburgh Steeler, Le'Veon Bell. My God, was he just bad. I mean, that Jets offensive line isn't anything to write home about, but Le'Veon Bell... A year ago, while he didn't have that much success in 2019 as he was was used to in Pittsburgh, which he's on the IR, by the way, Le'Veon Bell, hamstring issue, he still didn't look very good in the times he carried the ball. Six carries for 14 yards. He ran for 789 last year. And then just was world beaters with the Pittsburgh Steelers. 1,200 yards like he was, it was his day, well it is his day job. Like it was nothing. But he's not good. Who else do they have at running back? Oh yeah, Frank Gore. 
He's young. Just kidding. He's 37 years old. And Frank Gore is going to be an NFL Hall of Fame running back. But at some point, enough is enough. And I think enough is enough for Frank Gore. Because as good as Adrian Peterson is, Adrian Peterson's one probably one of, if not the best running back of my generation. Again, 22 years old. I grew up watching Adrian Peterson just crush teams and be, without a doubt, the best running back in football. So it gets to a point, right? You're, you need to call quits, especially at the running back position when you're getting hit almost every play. You're either carrying the ball, getting hit by a linebacker, or you're hitting a linebacker on a pass block. Frank Gore isn't the runner he used to be. They are bad at running back. Oh, who's in their receiving core? Jamison Crowder, who had a pretty good game against the Buffalo Bills. By the way, the Jets, I don't know if I mentioned this, they lost to the Bills 27-17 on Sunday. Jamison Crowder, seven receptions, 115 yards. He's their best option at receiver. Brashard Perryman, maybe. No. No. They have three guys on IR. Denzel Mims, who's a rookie, and somebody a lot of people thought were going to be pretty good coming out of Baylor. Guy that I looked at when it came to the Steelers. Uh, potentially picking, but they picked Chase Claypool instead, who had a hell of a catch last night, I didn't mention. Vincent Smith, guys bounced around last couple of seasons, IR. And then Jeff Smith on the IR, rookie out of Boston College. So their options at wide receiver, wide receiver only, are Chris Hogan, right? Remember Chris Hogan? That nobody from Monmouth that Tom Brady just made look like a Hall of Fame receiver for a little bit. Okay, well, Tom Brady's not there. You got Sam Darnold. Ooh, Sam Darnold. So, whatever. Brashard Perryman, a vet, a good option, right? Former first-round pick. Been there, done that kind of guy. Jamison Crowder, who I think is a good number two option. I, I wouldn't want him number one on my team. And then Chris Herndon, the tight end. That, that That's it offensively for them. Their defense is bad too. I'm looking at this defensive depth chart right now, and I recognize, I'm not even kidding, and I consider myself to be a pretty knowledgeable NFL fan. One. Two. Keep in mind there are 11 starters on an NFL football field. Three. Four, five, six. Half their defense. Bradley McDougald's in for Jamal Adams. Oh, that's that's a pretty comparable, uh pretty comparable players. No. Taking a long time talking about the Jets. It's kind of boring me. I'm sorry. They stink. They're my number one team. And and then let's get into or number one team to disappoint, I should say. Let's get into the two surprises. Number one. The Philadelphia Eagles looked absolutely horrible against the Washington football team. That shocked me. I, I, I didn't have the Eagles as a Super Bowl contender by any means. Uh, I think they're going to contend, or at least I thought they were going to contend in the NFC East because of how bad it is. But they surprised the living heck out of me with how bad they were in week one. Carson Wentz was sacked eight times. How do you let that happen? 
Threw two picks. They only ran for 57 yards. And none of their wide receivers caught touchdowns. It was Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. They have no playmakers on that outside. None. Oh, but what about Deshaun Jackson? He's good. Used to be. Not the same player anymore. Greg Ward. Who is Greg Ward? Second year man out of Houston. Could have fooled me. Uh, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who I really liked coming out of Stanford. He dogged all over my Pitt Panthers in the Sun Bowl a couple of years ago. John, who's John Hightower? They drafted Jalen Rager from TCU in the first round when everybody and their mother thought they would pick Justin Jefferson, and they just didn't. Oh, yeah, remember when I mentioned uh, that Carson Wentz got sacked eight times? Yeah, three Pro Bowl offensive linemen. Left tackle Jason Peters, who they just signed. One of the better left tackles in football. Jason Kelsey, Pro Bowl center. Lane Johnson, a Pro Bowl tackle. And you still let your quarterback, who, by the way, has injury issues, right? We've seen that. Eight times. Eight times. Oh, and by the way, another funny note. This is actually hilarious. Second round pick, Jalen Hurts. Nothing on Sunday. I don't even think he was active. Poor Philadelphia. If you happen to go to this fine university and are a Philadelphia sports fan and love your Eagles, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I just bad. Bad football. I, and if it doesn't improve, they might finish behind the team they lost to on Sunday in the Washington football team. All right, really quickly, because I have a minute left and I'm dragging along, Dallas surprised me with how bad they played against the Rams. I thought that they were going to be the team to beat in the NFC, to be completely honest with you. Uh, and they looked really, really bad, besides Zeke Elliott, who's a man amongst boys. Hopefully they turn it around because I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. And my last one. And I said at the start, one that was expected in the Jets, two that kind of surprised me with the Eagles and the Cowboys, and one that is absolutely hilarious, and it's the Cleveland Browns. They looked like the worst, the flat-out worst team in football on Sunday. I think they're too talented to find themselves drafting number one overall in 2021, which means they were the worst team in football the year before. But I don't really, I mean, you know, I'm an amateur radio personality. If you want to even call me that, I go to college to study communications and hopefully do this one day. And I'm acting like a fan, but I'm a Steelers fan. And the Browns played like, you know what? And it made me smile like a little girl waiting for the ice cream truck on a hot summer afternoon. Hopefully they keep it up. Baker Mayfield, thanks for coming out. Number one overall pick. Another quarterback that the Cleveland Browns hit and missed on. Put his name on the wall. Put his name on the t-shirt. He stinks. Kevin Stefanski, the coach they hired. Bum. How do you have Odell Beckham Jr., one of the most talented wide receivers in football? Three receptions, 22 yards. He was targeted 10 times. But if you go back and watch that film, Baker Mayfield missed 
on probably so like there were seven misses he was responsible for six maybe even all seven of them those are my four teams to flop we're approaching the top of the hour here very shortly hour number two we're going to talk about some college football and the Pitt panthers so the nba is a thing in this time of year because of obviously the coronavirus pandemic putting things on hold for a while and I wanted to share my thoughts on the NBA to you lovely people on this evening at 9.03 p.m. First of all, Celtics Heat 105-100 in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. A minute left. So if you're getting tired of me, which I completely understand, I, I make people tired of me all the time. Go ahead and tune it in. Actually, as my computer updates, two minutes or two points, 105-103, Heat Celtics, 40 seconds left. The Philadelphia 76ers might be one of the worst things to happen to the NBA, like in the NBA landscape. And I say that still and with full confidence, knowing what the Golden State Warriors were for five years before this year. Obviously, they didn't even make the bubble. They were that bad. Which they might not be that bad anymore because they had the number two overall pick and there's rumors they might trade for Giannis. Which if they do, they'll probably end up giving the Bucs the number two overall pick. But we'll talk about that in a second. I can't begin to tell you my... Not hatred. I don't hate... Things. Hate's a strong word, and I don't like using it. My displeasurement? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, we'll go with that. With the Philadelphia 76ers and what they've done for the last, like, three, four years. It's just bad basketball. It is almost as bad as another team I'll talk about in a second. Who got stomped. But the Philadelphia 76ers have one of the worst rosters ever. Like, good players, don't get me wrong. Ben Simmons, a young, really good player. And probably going to be one for a really long time. Joe Embiid, same thing. Right? Despite what a lot of people might think about Joe Embiid, he's still a pretty good basketball player. Um, going down their roster here. Al Horford, been there, done that kind of guy. Um, where is he? Why, Tobias Harris. There we go. Brain fart. Another one. Good basketball player. Good young basketball player. What I didn't mention, and I did it because it doesn't exist, about those four guys is the ability to to shoot the basketball or play as like a true guard. Ben Simmons plays the point guard position for the Sixers, right? But he's 6'10". He's might be a, a, sw a stretch four. He should be a stretch four. I don't know why he plays point guard. I really don't. He handles the ball very well for somebody who's 6'10". He averaged eight, six, eight assists a game in 19 uh, this past year. But to me, 
he needs to focus on developing a not embarrassing jump shot. Right? I mean, he's like, he can't shoot the ball. He has a career 083. <laughs> uh, less than 10% from three in his career, and he plays point guard. Um, shoots it well from the field, though. Overall, 56%. He needs to play a different position. Right? It's not 1980, insert last-digit year, where Magic Johnson's at 6'9 and playing point guard. He ain't no Magic Johnson. He's not. He might be at Magic Johnson, like, in that category that he was in with MJ and where LeBron is and all that stuff. Ben Simmons, you could put him in that category maybe if he plays a different position and learns how to play the three or maybe a stretch four and settles down there. But good God, no, don't play point guard. Also, Al Horford would have been, and I like Al Horford. He's been a very, very good basketball player in the National Basketball Association pretty much since he stepped in the league in 2007. All right, as a rookie, he averaged 10 a game, started in 77 of 81 appearances, and was just good. Career 14 and 8 player, a good basketball player, a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5-time All-Star, but he's 33 years old. And he's tied down to this big contract with Philadelphia. And he doesn't shoot the basketball well. He doesn't. In 1920, he shot 30... Or I'm sorry, 45% from the field. It's good, not great. Alright, every now and again, he'll, he'll make a three-pointer. But if you're looking to Al Horford as your number one... Uh, three-point option. Issues. You got issues. They fired Brett Brown, their coach, rightfully so, right? I mean, he he was the right guy to put them in the right direction because if we remember correctly, Philadelphia, the Sixers were just god-awful. I mean, really, really bad. Trust the process. They go out and they draft Markel Fultz, number one overall. Uh, more recently than uh, drafting Ben Simmons at number one overall and then Joe Embiid, obviously, up there. They make all these draft selections. Markel Fultz doesn't even play for them anymore, which is hysterical because uh, he, he just couldn't shoot. I don't know how you draft a guy number one overall that, like, mentally can't shoot a basketball. I quit basketball in ninth grade. I was cut in eighth grade twice. But if you put a basketball in my hand right now, I could mentally form it up and shoot it. Right? Markel Fultz couldn't do that. And that's your number one overall pick. Anywho, I digress. Brett Brown, right guy to get them in the right direction. Just not the kind of guy that fits what this team needs right now. And hopefully they find somebody that is. But I think it was the right move to fire him. Because, as I mentioned, right guy for the process, wrong guy for the actual process of winning championships. The process in terms of Philadelphia, obviously. Quick update. Overtime. 106-106. Heat Celtics. Turn it on. Turn me off. I stink. 
This game's pretty good. Last thing, couple minutes before we go, the Houston Rockets. Oh, oh, the Houston Rockets. I, uh, I'm going to be mission compliant here because I have to be. But I, I, I put some faith into and some trust into the Houston Rockets in an aspect that I won't clearly state on this campus radio station. Hopefully you're able to figure it out. And I didn't do... I, they let me down. They let Chris Paul... Old man, river water, Chris Paul. Take him to seven games. And then they got a hold of uh, good old LeBron James, right? The GOAT. One of the GOATs. That's another debate that I could spend the next 49 minutes of my show time talking about who's better, MJ or LeBron, right? And they get a hold of LBJ in the Lake Show. Get him in game one. Wow, game one, get him. Wow, 112.97. And LeBron says, okay, we'll beat you by 8, 10, 10, and you can't do the math, 119-96. Where's Mike D'Antoni go? Bye-bye. One of the, I'm not, I, I'm, I say this with full confidence, I think Mike D'Antoni is also up there as far as just dumb minds, right? I talk about Adam Gase with football. Mike D'Antoni's up there with basketball. I don't know why he is as relevant as he's been in the game of basketball for as long as he has. He had Carmelo Anthony, Amari, St Amari Stoudemire in New York and had a good team there. Didn't win anything. And then James Harden and Russell Westbrook can't figure it out. That might be more on Russell Westbrook and James Harden for just not being able to play together because if you ask my opinion, those are two toxic personalities but I find humor in how bad the Sixers and the Rockets have been uh, especially when they should be a lot better so real quick let's talk about the game at 9 o'clock this evening uh, it is the game 7 on at 9 o'clock or 13 minutes past 9 o'clock Jack come on be more aware it's the Nuggets and the Clippers. I don't think this game is tipped off yet or according to ESPN right now. I'm refreshing my browser and it hasn't. But the Nuggets playing very well as of late, forcing the Clippers to seven games, have a chance to close it out tonight and go to the West Finals. with a date with LeBron and the Lakers? Minus seven and a half is the line. The Lakers, or rather the Clippers, are the favorite. Clippers win, uh, that's Clippers-Lakers, one heck of a series that I'm going to watch very intently, uh, and it's probably what a lot of people had predicted coming into uh, the 1920 NBA season, and then uh, game one, Heat-Celtics, the Celtics are up four with 331 left in overtime, the winner of this one gets the winner of Lakers and insert team here. It's going to be fun. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see the Lakers and the Heat matched up in the NBA Finals. LeBron, one of LeBron's former teams. Uh, and they're playing very, very good basketball. And Eric Spolstra is a guy that's been there, done that. Uh, I've used that phrase quite often this evening, but he is. He's been very, very good. Uh, and he is a very, very good basketball coach. So I wouldn't be surprised there. But the Celtics have a pretty good one, too. Um, and um, Brad Stevens and they got Jason Tatum right now for 30 points and Marcus Smart approaching 30 points.
Kemba Walker facilitating the ball nicely. Six assists, only three turnovers. A two-to-one turnover ratio is pretty good for a point guard. And he's got 17 points to boot. One, two, three, four, five guys. How about my guy, Brad Wanamaker? 24 minutes tonight, 11 points off the bench. Six assists and five steals. We love that. Hail to Pitt. So the Celtics... Heat, game one of the East Finals, winner to the NBA Finals. It's going to be fun. That's my thoughts on the NBA. Coming up, we shift back to football, but we talk college football, my Pitt Panthers, in a clash with Austin P over the weekend. Stay tuned on the Jack Hillgrove Show. Talking college football right now. Uh, we touched upon the NFL in hour number one. Let's shift to college football hour number two. My Pitt Panthers. 55 to nothing. Winners over the Austin P. Governors. Who who stink? I mean, they're a mid-level FCS team. They lost by a touchdown to Central Arkansas. Um, they're, they're not good. And uh, they got they got whooped by my Pit Panthers, and we'll talk about that game. First, I want to, uh, and like I said, I'm a diehard Pitt fan, right? I have grown up a Pitt fan my entire life. Didn't have a choice to like any other team, if you want my honest opinion. Um, but I like to poke some fun. I, I, I get that people make fun of Pitt Panthers, the football attendance. I get that people like to make fun of Pitt blowing big games because it's happened, right? It's it's what goes on when it comes to pit teams um, and, and other fans on the outside looking in making fun. So I see a tweet, and as I mentioned, one of the things that especially Penn State fans love to talk about is uh, the lack of attendance at pit games at Heinz Field. Um, and I saw a tweet that said, Pitt beat a team that they should beat by a sizable margin. At Heinz Field, in an empty stadium. Maybe it's not them, it's us, referring to the fans. And I thought I got a good chuckle out of that, because normally, and I go back to last year when Pitt played against Delaware, another FCS-level team like Austin P. they barely beat them. Uh, a couple of years ago, um... They took Youngstown State to overtime. Another FCS team. And even a couple years before that, they lose to Youngstown State at home. So they struggle with bad teams. Those are obviously when people had, when times weren't insane and fans were in the stands. Times are insane now. Fans aren't in the stands. Pitt beats a team 55 to nothing. Maybe it's not them referring to the fans. Maybe it's us. Funny, funny. Anywho, let's break down the box score. Kenny Pickett, awesome. Looked like a top-tier quarterback in college football. 14 of 20, 277 yards, a touchdown, a QBR of 93.6. Averaging around 14 yards of completion. Pitt ran the ball very well, too. Something that they didn't really do last year. Um, they had a bunch of different guys run it. And to get multiple carries, it was one, two, three, four, five, six. Todd Sibley Jr., Daniel Carter, Kenny Pickett had a pair of carries. AJ Davis, Israel Abaconda, freshman 
Chase Johnston shout out very excited about and Vincent Davis he had the most carries at 11 but as a team they carried it 35 times for 147 yards averaging four yards a carry which is pretty standard uh like the benchmark uh, you always want to try and be above four yards to carry in college football even really in the NFL for that matter and they were able to do that which uh, was nice to see because last year as I mentioned Pitt had a hard time running the football in the receiving category um the re- leader DJ Turner transfer from Maryland Two receptions, 76 yards, a touchdown. Shockey Jock Louis. Here's what's interesting, and this goes to show you that Austin P and their weakest part of their bad team was the secondary. So the top three Pitt Panthers in receiving yards were DJ Turner, who I mentioned, Shockey Jock Louis, and Jalen Barden, freshman. Excited about him. Talk about him and another one in a second. So Turner had 76 yards. Shockey had 68, Barden had 68. DJ Turner had two receptions, average 38. And Shockey Jock Louis and Jalen Barden each had a reception that went 68 yards. Translation, they got burnt. B-U-R-N-T, burnt. Up and down the field. I mean, I think it got to the point where you could have trotted out Jefferson Morgan's secondary against Pitt, and you might have got the same result. No knock against the Rockets. If any of you guys are Jeff Moe fans listening, that wasn't a dig. That was just me talking about a high school football program against a Division One athletic program. If you want to make me, I can make you feel better, sure. North Allegheny, Pittsburgh Central Catholic, blah, 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 blah. Anywho. Pitt opens up as a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against a conference opponent in the Syracuse Orange this week. 20-and-a-half points, and I would have to do a ton of digging, but I can't tell you the last time I remember the Pitt Panthers being a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against a team in their conference who's supposed to be evenly or relatively evenly matched with them. Pitt had 15... AP writers this past week vote them in their top 20 one of whom I'm drawing a blank on the gentleman's name but he represents the University of Arkansas writing for them shout out to you sir ranking pit 13th 1-3 in the AP poll for week 2 everything averaged out Pitt was able to get ranked in week week 2 they are 25th out of the twenty top 25 teams in the country according to the Associated Press that is pretty awesome. A couple minutes before we go to break. Two more things. First, the defense. Then we'll get back to the offense. Uh, the defense looked pretty good. Paris Ford, I think, is the best safety in the country. He uh, he makes an instant impact every time he steps out onto the field. He's just good at his job. And he's going to be good at his job when he becomes a professional. Uh, worried about the defensive line. I was worried a little bit, you know, with... Rashad Weaver being out again due to COVID uh, concerns. Uh, Jalen Twyman opting out again due to COVID concerns. I was worried about how they'd play. Uh, they looked really good. Uh, Dayon Hayes, true freshman from Westinghouse, leads the nation in sacks. He had two <laughs> on Saturday. He's going to be the next really, really good pit defensive lineman. And there seems to be one 
every so often. Um, it was Aaron Donald, obviously, and he might be, the, when it's all said and done, the best person in the NFL to ever play defensive line. Um, he was a former Pitt Panther. Shifted into Rashad Weaver before he got hurt, and then last year when he was out, Jalen Twyman kind of stepped into that uh, limelight. And I think Rashad Weaver will get it back this season when he hopefully returns this week. Pat Narduzzi said in his press conference he was hopeful for a return for Rashad Weaver and Taysier Mack, a receiver who didn't play on Saturday as well. And then Lucas Kroll as well, a tight end who I'm really excited to see. So the defense looks really good, and it'll keep them in a lot of games moving forward. And number two, freshman wide receivers, Jordan Addison and Jalen Barden. Watch out for Jordan Addison. A lot of ACC writers, people that cover the ACC for a living, pick Jordan Addison to win ACC freshman or newcomer of the year, whatever they call that award. And I thought, wow, really? Is he that good? Like, I always try and keep up with pit recruits. Uh, and I knew that he was going to be pretty good. But I didn't think he'd be picked by, uh, you know, it, it seems like writers and national people oh, seem to overlook Pitt a lot, right? That's why they seem to be picked fifth in the Coastal. It was different this year uh, because of the schedule adjustments, obviously. But I think they were picked eighth in the ACC out of 15 teams. They're always picked like fifth or fourth or maybe even six sometimes and is out of seven in the coastal. Uh, long story short, they're they're looked over a lot on a national scale. And I was surprised to see a lot of people think Jordan Addison would be in the running, let alone win uh, ACC Freshman of the Year. And a lot of people picked that, and he showed up to it on Saturday. He's got, and he's going to be a very, very good wide receiver for the Pitt Panthers. Seven catches. For 35 yards, he was targeted eight times, so he didn't miss a whole lot, only missed once. Uh, and he's going to be very, very exciting to watch, as well as this whole team is. I, I'm really excited about what Kenny Pickett brings to the table to this offense as a senior, as a guy that just shuts up and does what he needs to do uh, and does it like a no-nonsense leading quarterback. Uh, and I, I'm ready to watch him succeed as a senior because it, frankly, been a, it's been a long time coming for Kenny Pickett. His third full year as a starter has been relevant since he was a true freshman, uh, and I'm ready to watch Kenny Pickett and the boys ball out in 2020. Coming up on the Jack Kilgrove Show, we're going to talk to Joe Smeltzer. That'll be in the last segment of the show at 9.45. Uh, and then um, before that, our next segment, it'll be college football on a, on a larger scale what we were looking at coming in with no Big Ten and no Pac-12. The three power, other three Power Fives, the ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, getting most of the love. That's probably why Pitt was ranked as early as they were, if you want my honest opinion, because the Big 12 and the Pac-12, or the Big Ten and the Pac-12, I apologize, aren't involved. But the Big Ten, working itself back into the fold, a plan to come back in about a month. We'll see how that impacts the college football landscape and what kind of handicaps or impact good Big Ten schools, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, will have at the top half of the country. That's coming up next on the Jack Kilgrove Show. So I said an hour ago that the Big Ten reportedly was supposed to announce a plan to come back and play today, right? Nebraska official caught on hot mic Tuesday saying Big Ten football decision coming Tuesday. 
That's the headline. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN. Um, actually, hold on. Let me uh, let me stall a little bit before I can find the clip for you and play it. Should have thought about this earlier. We'll be better for next time. Two days after Big Ten presidents and chancellors met to review information about possible football season, University of Nebraska assistant president Ted Carter was caught on a hot microphone saying that an announcement will come later Tuesday. Carter was speaking to Bob Himson, director of the National Strategic Research Institute, before a news conference Tuesday in Lincoln. That was supposed to happen. And it didn't. As of an hour ago, and I will uh, pull up the article here in a moment from the Detroit Free Press. Apparently the Big Ten is still in limbo. But they have a plan in place, right? An eight-game, nine-week schedule. Um, to play to play football. Supposedly going to happen, which is uh, encouraging to see, especially if you're a Penn State fan in these parts. All right, here it is. So this is Ted Carter talking to Bob Himson, University of Nebraska, before a news conference today. Oh, really? I heard that that was happening. I didn't, uh, I think there's a lot of anticipation about that. Let's hear that one more time because it might have been a little soft. So I'll play it for you guys one more time. Oh, really? I, I heard that that was happening. I didn't, uh, I think there's a lot of anticipation about that. Good for you. Maybe that'll get off your plate. <laughs> So that was apparently supposed to happen. So he said uh, at the beginning of the video, if you heard it, uh, Carter, we're getting ready to announce the Huskers in Big Ten football tonight. And this guy, Bob Hinson, Hinson, I should say, oh, really? Heard that was happening. Didn't think there was a lot of anticipation for that. Good for you. Maybe that'll get off your plate. The masks, obviously, and the, the microphone being a little further away hindered that audio. I hope you heard it uh, because that was said today. Um. So an hour ago, Chris Solari of the De Detroit Free Press, the Detroit Free Press, I should say, first had the, the, the lead of this story. The Big Ten might play football in 2020 after all, but as of Tuesday evening, no decision to reboot the season has been announced. And he notes the uh, the leak of the, the audio clip I just told you, but... They're supposed to and are expected to approve conference leaders of the Big Ten. An eight-game, nine-week schedule that could start as soon as October 17th. That's in 30-plus days, almost 30 days. So they'll put the Big Ten championship on December 19th, Solari says. Um, and that's the day before the college football playoff is supposed to be announced. The field for that revealed. There also, uh, Solari states, there is also remains a possibility the season could begin the weekend of the 24th. So, it looks like the Big Ten is going to play football after all. Which is good, right? I, I don't want a watered-down college football season. Pitt's ranked 25th in the AP poll this week. It's only week two. Do I think they're good enough to be there? Absolutely, they deserve it. But, as I mentioned before, Pitt sort of gets overlooked in the national spotlight. They always have, and, and I think they always will until 
They put together several big seasons where they contend for the ACC, and they have the attention of notable college football reporters and national college football people that they're legit, and they haven't done that in a really long time since Dan Marino played quarterback for the University of Pittsburgh. So where am I going with this? Pitt, right now, got ranked 25th in the country because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are not playing football. The AP preseason poll, which was the poll for week one, when everybody, if you were watching a college football game and uh, the game you were watching, a team had a number next to it, that was a preseason poll. So that poll came out before the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announced that they weren't playing. So just because Penn State wasn't playing week one and didn't think they were playing a season, or Ohio State for that matter, I think was ranked second or third, they were still ranked second or third because that poll came out before the news of the Big Ten canceling or supposedly canceling its season. Same with the Pac-12. So under that assumption, until about really yesterday or two days ago when this became a possibility, uh, the AP took into account when they voted for their new poll on Sunday, as they always do every week, that they weren't going to play. So they left all the Big Ten and the Pac-12 schools out of voting because they didn't play week one. That's why Pitt got ranked the way that they did. And I hope Pitt keeps its winning ways and stays ranked because they're ranked now, and if they keep winning, they won't get unranked. That would be just dumb. Because when October 17th rolls around and the Big Ten starts playing football, a couple of those teams can think of about at least three, maybe four off the top of my head. Five, actually. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, probably Minnesota for that matter. Six teams that are going to get thrown into that ranking. And then the Pac-12 might have four or five. That's give or take ten teams that will would be in that top 25, and you take ten out. Where are you going to start? At the bottom of the poll. Who's at the bottom of the poll? Pitt. Long story short, that's the impact that the Big Ten has on the college football landscape right now, not playing because you have teams in there that normally wouldn't be there. Pitt being one of them. So Solari's article goes on to say uh, that not all 14 teams might play. Now this is where it gets interesting. They're going to propose this schedule. Eight games, nine weeks, as I mentioned. But what happens if... This is completely hypothetical. I'm just going to toss around some names. Maryland... Iowa, Penn State maybe. Like, okay, so those are the three teams. Completely hypothetical that don't want to play. Is there a plan in place to reschedule and modify? So by the time, because I would assume that's what's going to happen, they officially announce a schedule. Teams don't want to play. Are they going to be able to modify it quickly? You hope, especially if you're a fan of a team in the Big Ten. You hope because then it would become a cluster. You know what? I, th- I mean, they're professionals. I would think so. So the article says, a high-ranking person at the Big Ten told the free press, this is the Detroit free press, Chris Solari, on Tuesday, it remains unclear whether all 14 teams will be playing or whether some may opt out 
of the season due to concerns over COVID-19 and other risks. Solari then states the conferences and presidents and chancellors were not expected to announce a decision on resuming the season Tuesday, according to Pat Ford of Sports Illustrated. It has been expected the conference would move in unison. So Cousin Nebraska just had no clue what was going on. Everybody was like, all right, we'll do it together. And Guy at Nebraska was just like, yeah, dude, we're, we're, we're announcing this tonight. And other Cuz was just like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody else was just like, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes, pump the brakes, not ready for this, got eye on a few things. Nebraska's a fake Big Ten team, too. Why are they in that conference? Why is Rutgers in the Big Ten? Rutgers stinks at everything. Anywho. So that's what's going to happen, hopefully, with college football. If you're a Penn State and any Lions fan, hopefully for you that your boys get to play this season. Uh, they had a very talented roster coming in. Um, Sean Clifford, an experienced quarterback, and among other players, Journey Brown, who is supposed to have a good season from what I understand. Hopefully they get to play. Anywho, when we come up in a minute or two, maybe three, Joe Smelter is going to join us on WCYJFM for our final segment of the evening. Last segment of the evening, Jack Kilgrove on the WCYJFM, the Jack Kilgrove Show. Pleased to be joined by my good friend Joe Smeltzer, kind enough to call in for the last segment of the show. Joe, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing pretty well, Jack. So I just, uh, and it's good to hear from you, good to hear your voice on these airwaves once again. So I just got done talking about, uh, I don't know if you saw it today, uh, the the Nebraska presser uh, and the hot mic, a hot mic scenario like we're familiar with on Eastbound and Down, uh, that the guy was just like, yeah, we're going to announce Big Ten football tonight, and that just didn't happen. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on really what's brewing in the Big Ten because I know you're a bit, uh, Penn State guy. Oh, boy. Uh, well, my thoughts on this thing kind of remain to be seen until we see how well college football and the Elder Power Five conferences work. If the SEC and the ACC and – I'm cramping on uh, the third of the Power Five conferences Big that are 12. playing. The Big 12. If those conferences all have significant outbreaks of COVID, then the Big Ten looks pretty smart for not playing. But I think if the Big Ten is to not play football this season, which remains to be seen, and the other conferences are able to play without much of a hitch or without any hitch at all, that's a really big that's really bad look for the Big Ten. I think the Pac-12 is a bit of a different situation just because of um, the state the state that a lot of those states are in, California in particular, with um, not only COVID but air quality. But the Big Ten, I think even if it isn't safe to play, they definitely jumped the gun in not having college football in September. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think whatever decision they made could have waited a little longer than – early to mid-August, which I think is when the decision was made. So I do have faith that the Big Ten will be able to play probably, I'd say, a little before Halloween, maybe middle of October. But it's really hard to judge how well or poorly the Big Ten has handled this because we don't know really how safe it is for college football players in this age of COVID and the health and safety of everybody. Um, you can't really judge that based on one week. So I think everything kind of remains to be seen right now. Right, because as you mentioned, jumping the gun, 
right? If the the three other power fives are able to complete a season with little to no issues without any outbreak, uh, there's going to be people fired in the Big Ten. But on the flip side, if they can't, they have to call it the Big Ten look like geniuses. So do you think that, and obviously, as I mentioned, you're familiar with the conference more than I am. Do you think that there are, or there was pressure felt on by Big Ten officials seeing a week one in college football uh, to get something together, maybe from fans, maybe from Big Ten universities to be able to play? Because they might have said, look, they're playing and we're not. We can do this. Why can't we? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I think, uh, for example, a Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber is watching Trevor Lawrence and Clemson play at Wake Forest in primetime football. I know it's about fans, but still, Saturday Night Football, there's two teams playing from the ACC, and Wake Forest, of all teams, has a primetime slot while no Big Ten team is playing football. I think that adds pressure. I don't think any rash decisions are going to be made. I don't think if if the Big Ten does decide to play, it won't be because they're caving into that pressure. I don't think that's the case at all. If that were the case, they'd be playing right now. Um, but, yeah, I think watching the ACC and Big 12 uh, play week one, uh, that definitely, um, I think, put a little pressure on to try to get something going for this season. Yeah, absolutely I do. So as you mentioned, Penn State, let's shift the focus to Penn State because I spent the, the, the majority of uh, this first, or rather the second hour, talking about uh, Pitt, obviously, because I'm a Pitt guy, and you're a Penn State guy. So talk about what you were anticipating and what you were expecting out of your Nittany Lions this year as a, from a production standpoint, uh, a veteran quarterback in Sean Clifford, um, a really good defender in Micah Parsons if he didn't opt out. Uh, a good running game. Talk about what Nittany Lion fans, you in particular, were expecting uh, out of your boys this season if they were able to play. I was expecting maybe one of the best Penn State teams of all time, certainly one of the best of the past 25 years. Uh, like like you hit on with Clifford coming back, uh, one guy you didn't mention is Pat Frodenberg, who I think right. uh, would have been the best tight end in college football this season. I think it's for sure a top uh, a first-round draft pick, maybe even a top-15 pick in the NFL draft. Um, but you always have the hurdle with Ohio State. That's been a persistent theme over the past five years in the James Franklin era. But, era. but they had Ohio State at home this year. And you know how tough they played Ohio State um, even last year in the shoe with Sean Clifford getting hurt and Penn State almost having a dramatic comeback in Columbus. Uh, so if there was going to be a year to get Ohio State and win the Big Ten, I think this season would have been good as any, but it doesn't look like it's going to turn out that way, at least not in the way it would have in a normal year with Micah Parsons and Pat Browder move and all these horses coming back. So uh, I think it could very well be said that the coronavirus broke up one of the best Penn State teams of all time, and that's and that's a shame. I think even from a non-Penn State team's, non-Penn State fan's perspective, You'd hate to see a team get screwed over. Um, and I'm not saying the Big Ten is screwing over Penn State. I'm saying just the general situation, Penn State would be screwed of having one of their best teams ever. And I think for any college football team, you hate to see something like that happen uh, to a squad that has greatness basically uh, ripped apart from them for no fault of their own. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in the same. I agree with you. This is Joe Smeltzer we're talking to, former Waynesburg University communications student former host of the Nameless Baseball Show. Uh, you were a fan of what Drew Rhea, uh, his uh, his little trailer he put out for the Nameless Baseball Show, weren't you? 
I love it. I love it. I'm glad he was able to find uh, clips from our Twitter account that we posted last year. Um, I do wish that I had saved um, our shows uh, from the skimmer or maybe maybe used uh, Anchor to download them, but uh, never really got around to that. Uh, you know how busy college can be. That wasn't at the top of my priority list, and I probably screwed around a little too much in pulling them up. But I'm glad there was enough content for him to make um, an intro, and I'm excited to uh, listen in uh, when I can and uh, see uh, if uh, the legacy of the Nameless Baseball Show that we've built over the past four years uh, can keep on going, and I'm sure it will. Yeah, another thing, and not to rub it in your face that you're missing, is the uh, the new 24-7 convenience store in the Beehive. I have to say, it's as a, as a guy that pays or spends a lot of time in Buell Hall like yourself did for four years, uh, it's pretty darn convenient, especially with the aspect of flex dollars added to our meal plan to just go over and grab like a chocolate pudding cup and like a Mountain Dew or just, food, you, you know what I mean? I, I really wish you would have yeah. got to experience that because that that's been very, very clutch this year. Yeah, the best time to have that would have been my sophomore year um, because in those days of the Yellow Jackets, there would be times where I wouldn't, on a production night, I wouldn't leave fuel until 4 o'clock in the morning and having that open at like, uh, 4.15 a.m. Uh, would have been an absolute game changer. So um, not having that uh, while I was in school uh, is a bummer for sure. Last question, Joe Smeltzer with us on the Jack Hillgrove Show. Before you go, back to football. Um, you mentioned what y- your thoughts were about Penn State, right? It could have been the uh, Big Ten championship that – and one of the best Penn yep. State teams in the last couple decades. If they're able to play this season, uh, eight games, nine weeks, two-part question. One, would you feel like if they were able to succeed, it would be watered down? And two, when it comes time for the committee to select a college football playoff team and they the possibility of leaving the Big Ten out of it because they played an abbreviated season, how mad would you be if Penn State ran the table and didn't end up in the college football playoff? Well, to answer your question, I think it absolutely be watered down. I think all sports are watered down right now um, because uh, in college football probably gets hurt the worst by this because the one thing that separates college football from, I think, any other sport in North America, college or pro, um, is the whole game day experience. You know, the tailgates, 100,000-seat stadiums, um, marching bands, and we're not going to really have any of that. So I think if Penn State, even if it had started the season on time and played a normal uh, 12-week schedule, uh, 13 uh, counting the Big Ten Championship game if they make it there, um, I still think that'd be watered down. It's definitely watered down in an eight-game season. Um, to answer the second part of your question, uh, I wouldn't be upset if Penn State or any other Big Ten team got left out as unfair as that sounds, because thinking from the committee's perspective, how do you um, judge a team that started in September versus teams that started a month later? Uh, that's just a very unenviable situation. And also, I think if Penn State plays well enough to where they could legitimately be considered for playoff consideration, I'd be pretty happy with that as well. So uh, I definitely, it's definitely possible that the Big Ten teams, Ohio State and Penn State in particular, could get shafted, but it's just such a tough situation for the playoff committee to be in uh, that I don't think I have any hard feelings uh, if uh, deserving teams from the Big Ten uh, 
and in the very unlikely event the Pac-12 end up getting end up getting shut out of the college football playoff. That's Joe Smeltzer. Joe, thanks for joining me. We'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. That's all I have for the Jack Kilgrove Show. We'll see you next Tuesday. Maybe another guest, some more hot topics, and definitely talking about football. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Come on.